The first reading is from Isaiah, the 35th chapter. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm for today is Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. The second reading is from the book of James, the second chapter. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man comes wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. But if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law, under the law of liberty. For no judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. And from there Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. He said to her, For this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. They begged him to lay his hands on him, taking him aside from the crowd privately. He put his fingers into his ears, and after having spitting, touched his tongue. And looking looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Epaphtha, that is, be opened. His ears were opened. His tongue was released. He spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond all measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is the Gospel of our Lord. A Sunday drive. I think the Sunday drive has been, at this point in history, kind of lost. Um, If I say Sunday drive, there's a chance that a lot of young ones in here wouldn't know anything what I'm talking about. Sunday drive. But on a Sunday drive day, it would start like this. The day would start... By going to church and worshiping God, because that's what you did on Sundays. You went to God's house, you heard His good news, and you said, thank you God for loving us in spite of us, and we just worshiped God and gave Him praise. Following that, there'd be Sunday school, at least in my grandparents' house, and then, then home for dinner, and then after dinner, maybe after a little nap or something, late in the afternoon, temperatures cooling down, then there'd be the drive around town, Maybe saying hi to your friends and they're out in the yard just visiting or whatever, playing their little game of, what's that stick in the crochet or something like that, Um, croquet. You know, say hi to them as you're driving around. Then maybe a drive through the country because my grandparents were in Iowa and most of all their friends were on the farms in the country. And they'd drive around and they would just notice the new houses that were up and the new business being started, the ones closing, anybody moving. And if anybody was out in their yard, the Sunday drive. And uh, saying hi to folks. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you were able to go at some point in your life for a Sunday drive? I'm just kind of curious. Oh, that's, that's more than I thought. Sunday drive. All right. 
So I remember a few Sunday drives with grandparents. We didn't live real close to them, but in the summer times when we'd be by, we could do this. Sunday drives. They drove this huge car. It had four doors, but the front seat was like a bench that was at least six feet wide. The back seat was like a bench six feet wide, four doors, windows, all that came all the way down. You had to crank them down. And then if, if you didn't want to put them up as fast as they told you, you didn't have to, you could slow it down. I mean, it was kind of fun being in that car. You could also lay on it like a bed when you got tired, but this was the car that we'd go driving on. And although I can say that I didn't enjoy being cooped up in the back of that car, even though it was a massive car, um, I didn't enjoy maybe looking at all the houses that they looked at and, and listening to all the stories of each of the houses and each of the families and when this was built and when that happened. What I did remember is I appreciated being near my grandparents. I enjoyed being in their company. And I do remember to them the stories that they told as we would drive for an hour plus. The stories that they shared about each family and each house, like, oh, we did that there. Remember when we did that there? And we played ball in that front yard, and that's where we broke an arm, and that's where we helped them with it. I mean, wherever it was, they just told these stories. The stories were about important life events to them. And it may be important life events for this community that they were a part of. All sorts of memories were being stirred during this drive. And I believe that they loved us, the grandchildren, and they wanted us, the grandchildren, to be included in their life story. That somehow or another we would be grafted into their story and our stories, they would come together and it would be one continuous story. They hoped that their life story would be a blessing to us as they heard about the failures and the successes and the highs and the lows of life. And that somehow our history could become a part of their history. The Sunday drive. Our Heavenly Father through His church each week presents us in the way a Sunday drive. He presents us Bible stories. I believe that He loves us. And He hopes that these Bible stories would be a blessing to us. Even though we weren't there, and even though we might not have seen those faces or lived in those days and seen those events, but as He tells us these stories, that they would become our stories. And that the stories of those families of faith could become a part of our life story of faith. That said, God through the church presents today's Bible story to us and, and these Bible stories every week knowing that we're not connected to this. There's been over 2,000 years and thousands of miles of distance between us, but still they present them to us each week. And now today's, life, today's lesson, it could be presented to us and forgotten, maybe like all of those grandparents' stories that were shared to me in the backseat of the car on the Sunday drive. I don't remember them. And they often didn't connect, but maybe they could. And maybe the life stories are being told to us every day, every Sunday, and all, all year long, so we the children would, would not think this, right? Like, oh, here we go again. Just another place that Jesus travels to. Oh yes, I know. I know this already. He's going to interact with the sinful people. He's going to interact with those unclean people and with all these people that have diseases and illnesses. And Oh, and I know at the end He's going to heal them just like He always does. 
And the grumpy people, well, they're always going to be grumpy and they're going to challenge and harass him. And then he's going to move on to the next place and repeat the whole story again. We could be children and hear it that way. Or we could be children and hear the beauty in the story. And that story could be part of our story. Now, while a lot of children don't get the beauty of the grandparents' stories until it's after, until it's too late, and then we wish we could remember, think about this. Why would God inspire St. Mark to include today's Bible lesson in his book? What's the big deal about Tyre and Sidon? What's the big deal about this you don't even know how to say Syro, Syrophoenician woman. What's the big deal about her and her demon-possessed daughter? Well, maybe it's good for us to remember the stories. Tyre and Sidon. Jews had deep resentment towards these leading cities, Tyre and Sidon. The people of those cities and surrounding area had fought bitterly with the pious Jews in the centuries that had preceded Jesus' walk on earth. The region was once known as Phoenicia. Alexander the Great had conquered that area around 332 BC. In fact, Tyre was a community on an, it was on an island just off the coast, not very far from the coast, and it was a big rock basically, island, and there was a community living on that. And Alexander couldn't get to there and wage war against it successfully. So what he had his troops do is they rounded up the people, made them carry basically a mountain of stone, gravel, and dirt, and they built an earth bridge, causeway, between land and that island, and then he conquered it. So now Tyre and Sidon were linked. That causeway exists today. Now, Alexander did well at conquering, but he was not very good at setting up a legacy. He had no family to take over, and so his, when he deceased, his generals took over. Seleucius was a leading general, and he came to be a ruler of that part of the world. Hence the name Seleucids. If you hear about Jews and Seleucids not getting along, Seleucid was the general, and they named him after the Seleucids. So the Seleucids were approaching the end of their power. Now, partially this was due because of another Alexander general named Ptolemy. He wanted to, he was having conflict with Seleucid. So anyway, that's part of the problem. But the biggest problem was that the Roman Empire was rising and they were going to take them all out. Now, before the Seleucid's reign ended, they began to wage war against God and the right worship of God and the right life of holiness by God's people. They violently went after the priests and all the people who would worship God rightly. They put statues and images of their gods into the places of holiness of the people of God, the Jews. They began worship of the false god in these holy places. They even desecrated the temple of Jerusalem. They put their statue there, and I even think they sacrificed a pig on that altar. No need to tell you that there would be a revolt. The holy people of God, some of them, stood up and went to war against the Seleucids. They couldn't go army to army, but they did this kind of like we see guerrilla warfare as we understand it today. In 167 B.C., a country priest, an ordinary priest in the country, last name of Hasmonean, he started it all. He died within about a year of the revolt. His son Judah Maccabee continued the result, hence the Maccabean revolt. And in that conflict, the people of Phoenicia, they didn't side with the God of the Jews and the Jewish people. They sided with the Seleucids. 
the Jewish people would never forget that war with them and never forgive them. In time, the Romans did conquer that area. They renamed the area. Instead of Phoenicia, they renamed it Syria. That's why the woman today was called a Syrophoenician. She's in Roman Syria, but she's a Phoenician. That history matters. And we're not to forget. Now earlier I asked, why would God inspire St. Mark to include this story in the Gospel book? What's the big deal about this place, this woman and this daughter? I want you to think about these, this. Jesus walked about 120 miles to get there. I can tell you, occasionally during the week, I get a walk about the five miles from our rental house to the church. It takes me about an hour and a half if I'm moving quickly. Um, two hours if I'm just kind of taking a normal pace. Walking 120 miles unprovisioned through desert spaces, it could take a week or more. Now, many miles walking, he did, just to be there. He had to walk many of those miles through a defiled and desecrated land of Syria, the Phoenician land, to arrive at a questionable home for that Syrophoenician woman. Jesus made such an extraordinary effort. I don't know about how many of you would walk 120 miles to find an unclean person to help them, but Jesus did. He made this effort for her individually. He made this effort for all the people in that area who were like her. And oh, He made that effort, if we ponder upon it, for people like you and me who hear the story today. Jesus makes an effort to come to us. More about the home. We know that He was not in a God-fearing home, a Jewish home, because no God-fearing Jewish person or house would allow such a woman to enter. See, evidence of this woman being unclean is dripping in the story, but we have to remember why. Because we're not a Jewish people in that time. Here's the facts. No respectable Jewish woman would approach or speak to another man in public. That's not what they did. No respectable, clean Jewish woman would ever enter a house like that. No respectable woman would ever, would ever touch another man unless it was her husband or one of her children or within her family. The only kind of woman who would do such things in the Jewish world would have been a prostitute. There's a good chance this woman was a prostitute. Good chance that her daughter was an illegitimate child as there's no mention of a father. Because if there was a father, he would have preceded the wife to the house. He would have preceded, but there's no mention. So probably an illegitimate child. And no surprise then to this Jewish audience who's hearing this in this first century that this daughter happened to be demon-possessed. What do you expect with that kind of filthy life? Right? That's how they would have taken it. But there's more. Because remember that she comes from a people who are historically unclean and in a land that was home to evil and violent opposition to God. Because long before Jesus was here, there was another famous biblical Syrophoenician woman who caused catastrophic problems in the land of Israel. Her name was Jezebel. She was married to King Ahab, the son of Omri, who did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all the kings who preceded him. She is from this city, this region, with these gods and that history. The king of Israel... He was to defend the people of God. 
He was to be a king who promotes lives of holiness and righteousness amongst God's people, that they would be a light to the nations when the nations would see them. He was to maintain temples and priests in the right worship of God. Now it's possible that Ahab, King Ahab, married this daughter of the king Ethbaal, the Sidon. If you want to know that name, it means the one who lives with Baal, the name of that king, the one who lives with Baal. So the king is a, the leading worker for this false god. He marries his daughter. Now, you can imagine he was thinking, okay, I'm going to marry this false king, false god's king and his daughter because I'm going to bring the truth of Yahweh to them. I'm going to bring the truth of God and the holiness of God to this land. Light is going to enter this dark world and we're going to raise them up and infect them with the truth of God. Well, that didn't quite happen. Ahab compromised his life. He compromised his people, the one he was to serve on behalf of the Lord God. And he compromised his God. Seven ways he did this. One, he married this foreman woman who was the princess of the foreign god. That was detestable. It was forbidden. And he did it. Then he began to construct temples and shrines to Baal across the land. And he used God's tithe to do those evil things. Then he initiated the worship of Baal, including the temple prostitution of both men and women in these things. On top of that, he then diminished and destroyed the right worship in the other temples, the temples to God. He financed hundreds and hundreds of priests using God's money to do violent, detestable things. Six, his queen finds out that he likes a piece of land, Jezebel, and so she, makes, she fabricates lies and mistruths about a, a good man named Naboth. And what he does is he had Naboth killed so that her husband Ahab could inherit this beautiful vineyard. The last thing they did that was horribly detestable is they allowed for the practice that they had in their false worship to be practiced in the land of Israel, the killing of children, and the killing of children in worship. From that time on, every nation and people in history that permits such things answers to God. They either repent like Nineveh or they're removed. That's the history in this land. That's the history between those gods and those people and the people of God. This was a dark land that Jesus entered to. This was a land that had a defiled history that Jesus entered. Into the heart of this land, He is entering the Son of God. Into this defiled word, he will enter as the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. An unclean woman with all of that unclean history swirling in the background. That unclean woman seeks the Messiah of God. She moves from her unclean world to find him. And with determination, she's going to approach this Lord and she will fall at His feet. At the feet of Jesus, she will plead for her daughter. At the feet of Jesus, she will discover that yes, even the crumbs of the, of the true God's mercy are greater than her sin and all of the sin in the world's collection. Her daughter, like her world, will be offered God's mercy God's healing and God's forgiveness. 
if only her world would approach Jesus like she did? Why would God inspire Mark to include this story in the Gospel book? Because what happened there made a difference. Not just for that Syrophoenician woman, but for all of our human history. God, through Mark's Gospel, wanted us, this next generation of children, to hear that life story so that we know that we're actually included in that life story. God hopes that 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 life story will become a part of, of our life story and our identity. And in the end, our hope. God wants us to always remember that Jesus came intentionally and at great personal expense to seek and save the lost. And that there's no land too dark and there's no person that is too defiled that Jesus won't willingly go to them and offer them the truth and the life and the healing that God can provide. That if we would approach Jesus like this woman, that we'd approach Jesus without defensiveness, right? She did not defend herself before, her Lord, before Jesus. She just fell at his feet, held on to his feet. She approached Jesus with humility. She, she approached Jesus without excuses. And, and she received the gifts of God's love. That she would be healed of evil and then time that her, her daughter, and maybe her community could live the way of the Lord. The Lord God, the one of Israel. The stories for us. We're the children in the back seat of this car, I suppose, hearing this story that our grandparents told and their grandparents and their grandparents. So we'll remember always that Jesus came across time and eternity for us. That we're just like that Syrophoenician woman. We're in bondage to sin. We cannot free ourselves. But God in His love forgives. God in His love comes to us. God in His love offers us life if we would just fall to feet and, and say please. And maybe at the end of it say thank you. And then do what the disciples did for 120 miles over and 120 miles back. Follow Jesus. Learn from Him. Continue learning from Him. Witness His life as He interacts with everybody else. And in that whole process, come to know Him. You cannot love somebody unless you know them. And you can't know them unless you spend time with them. So for us, He's saying, walk with me. Even if I have to go 120 miles by foot, walk with me. Because you'll spend time with me and you'll come to know me. And you'll come to love me. God, help us be a church that will know the life stories of God and God's people. And God, help us to be encouraged by these stories. Encouraged, faithful, and at the end of the day, hopeful. It's not about the woman's sin. It's about God's love. It's not about our failures. It's about His love. And then with that good news, God help us to share the good news because it's still a dark world. And God wants us to be His light to it. God help us be that church. Amen. Do you believe in God the Father? 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Heavenly Father, we ask that you continue to call us to serve your holy purposes. We ask that you continue to look upon us with mercy and patience as we do our best to bring you into our homes and lives. Lord, in your mercy. As you enter into our messy and confusing worlds, we ask that you bring direction, hope, and peace so that we might have the ability, strength, and courage to follow the example of your Son. Lord, in your mercy. Lord Jesus, your will is that all people would be present, presented, present your good news, repent, confess, follow your will, and be saved. Lord, if it gives you glory, make your will come to life within each person of Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Reform us to be your faithful people. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would inspire the hearts and minds of leaders around the world so that they may personally submit to you as Lord and Savior. We ask that you would work through global and local leaders to bring relief to the poor, peace to places of war, and freedom to all. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, look look with favor upon all who mourn loved ones, all who are under excessive life stresses, all who are wounded by sin, and all who are in need of healing especially those we name in our hearts now. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend ourselves and we commend all for whom we pray. We will trust in you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we boldly pray. Amen. Going to have a seat. We'll have our tithe and offering. <laughs> 